0: They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. You're listening to the sportsman's nation podcast network brought to you by savage arms. Now, Savage has come out with a new model, and that model is the 110 Ultralight. At under 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted savage 110 action this comes in a variety of calibers it has a gray accu stock with adjustable comb height this is an awesome rifle and uh, basically savage is at it again these guys have done amazing things in the past and now they're doing amazing things in the future if you want to find out more information about the 110 ultralight visit savagearms.com
2: My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. This week we had Matt Dye and Adam Keith of Land and Legacy Consultation come to the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters. These guys have been friends of mine for a while. They have a a really good and very informative land management podcast, but they do a lot of land consultation. They, in the last three years, have done consultations in 27 states So, we have a conversation about land management, about uh, whitetail hunting, and a whole lot of stuff. Interesting conversation. The first of this podcast is us touring some land right here in the Ozarks of Arkansas. And we're kind of just getting their commentary on tree species and ways that I could improve this property. So, you're going to enjoy that. Muzzleloader seasons in the United States and in Canada are typically fairly liberal in terms of season dates and length of seasons. And that's why I love to hunt with a muzzleloader, taking some good deer with a muzzleloader. And I'm going to be hunting more this fall with a muzzleloader than I probably ever have. And CVA, the company CVA, makes an incredible line of muzzleloaders company was established in 1971. They're known for their Bagara barrels, which is a world famous high quality barrel. They have multiple lines of muzzleloaders. They're known for some very high end, very accurate muzzleloaders, but they're also known for their price point in some places. CVA is a is a great place for you to step into the muzzleloader world, or to upgrade your old muzzleloader to something way better. So check out cva.com. Be ready for this fall. I know that I will. You know, one of the biggest bears ever killed was with a muzzleloader, Toby. Mm hmm. The Western Bear Foundation, nonprofit hunting conservation organization based out of Cody, Wyoming. They're fighting the good fight out West, standing up for the rights of bears. Yep, that's right. These conservationists, hunters like us, members of the Western Bear Foundation, we actually love bears. We like them. We want them on the landscape. We also like their fat, their hide, their meat, their claws. And I think we can both have what we want. And that's what the Western Bear Foundation is doing. They're standing up for the rights of sportsmen and for hunting, but also for solid bear conservation. Check them out. So we're just going to walk through this property, small property here in the Ozarks. And I just want to hear your commentary on the different species, maybe what you think happened here. Sure. And maybe what you would, if you just had like a 10 minute consultation with a client, like you would say, yeah. Hey, this is what you should do if we were managing this for uh, for whitetail deer. And uh, we've been doing a little logging on the property. You guys would be okay. glad to know. I, I know like you guys hate like can't full canopy cover, right? Um. So yeah, I'm working on a barn over here. So we cut down some oaks that we milled up, and I'm amazed that you can take out one oak tree. How much lumber that gets you and, well how much lumber but also how much canopy oh space. sure sure i mean like i've got like what feels like room for like a quarter acre food <laughs> plot after like uh you know one time cutting down a tree so let's just walk up here hey yeah <laughs> all right do you guys have uh these white buckeyes or ohio buckeyes do y'all yeah. see a lot of oh, those yeah, yeah.
3: usually riparian areas yeah.
4: Yeah, I think
3: you got some there. You
2: got Man, I bet this property has a thousand really? Ohio Buckeyes on it. Wow. Huh. I mean, I'm serious. They are. It's kind of a weird sight
3: of... for us to see them, and typically it yeah, is, is sure. bottomland. Um, but it, it's. Are there wet. Is this a no. wet hillside? No. Usually, typically dry?
2: No. Huh? Yeah, they're. they're I've thinned some of them out. Sure. I've got some that I really like, but. So there's a lot of limestone in this area. Surprisingly, really good soil. Like we have these big limestone like shelves. Like, There's parts of this property where you can see outcroppings. Yeah, big outcroppings. But if you're not like if your shovel's not hitting, you know, a five thousand pound rock. Yeah. You're in pretty black dirt. Interesting. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. All right, tell tell me what you're seeing. It's an interesting
4: forest composition here with. You know, you've got some taller eastern red cedars, thirty-plus foot tall, but then you have hedge, hedge or osage orange, orange, hackberry, uh, likeberry, and then you have salmon. some um, oak regeneration where there's a little bit of sunlight. There is a major issue that we see that we'll address more and more as we move up through here. Can I guess what it is? It, Bush honeysuckle. Ooh no, it's, that's, a that's curse the curse word. That is the kiss of this death. This place right there. is full of it. Full. And local. and how far are you from Fayetteville? Fifteen miles. Yeah, so just off the interstate. Fayetteville,
3: lots of traffic. Back Kansas
4: City, yeah. St. Louis. These big metropolis areas. Anywhere have, in Illinois, Ohio, got you can just see it like spreading like a virus. So did people well, bring don't say it that in? That <laughs>
2: like the <a> coronavirus? <laughs> yeah. Did, did anybody? Uh, we are standing pretty close to each other That's here. It, now. Sure. Did uh? Did they bring that in for what purpose? Ornamental so
4: a lot of our invasive species no no but it's got tons of berries and birds eat the berries and then they carry those berries away poop them out woof and you can just see it just it goes from residential areas out to the the rural areas so
3: and what you see like with these tree species a lot of them are some of the first ones from a tree species standpoint to come back after something was open walnut honey locust hedge Mm -hmm. eastern red cedar and persimmon in this portion of the country yeah that's what you typically see come back from that first generation forest
2: so this would have been
3: this would have been definitely definitely this was open probably i would like to honestly go back and google earth and see or see what the site would register as but this was way back when
2: very open yeah Yeah. now closed came forest because this is all secondary growth yeah. trees that you're so seeing. you mm-hmm. know
4: go back pre-settlement most likely glades savannas open landscape really was managed because th- we're right at that transition climax yeah you would have had that right you know but your south your south slopes would still have raging fires going up them yeah. okay and, and so they would be a, more open south-facing south facing yep. slope yeah right here. Mm-hmm. and so then once fire was removed Then it started to, you saw the tree species probably transition over from the north and east slopes or areas where fire wasn't as severe. So you would have, um, the oak hickory transition more on the south and the west facing slopes. But then when it started getting logged out, here we are now. Where at some point it was probably logged out. And then you have these tree species that are here now would you, be would the ones that colonize. You
2: think it would be safe to say that this was probably logged like in the 1940s or something? Because there are some big oaks. Like we'll I, like look, this, we're yeah. looking at, a, to our left here, there's a big hole in the canopy where I cut down yeah. one of my better oaks on this property for that barn. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, we uh we counted the rings back on that oak. um. You know, like from just right on the ground, and it was eighty plus.
1: Yeah, yeah. What kind plus. of oak
2: was it? It was a, it was a, I think a northern red oak. It was definitely okay, okay. a red oak. Okay. Yeah, but it could have been a spotted oak. Some people yeah. call them spotted oaks. I right. Probably a northern red oak. Let's yeah. keep walking up here. Um
3: But I wouldn't say that a lot of these other. Tr- it's amazing how fast some some of those cedars grow and how big and quick they get. Adam, what is that?
2: This is a Change test. 10. Yeah, you nailed it. Man, a lot of chinkapin oak here. Like yeah. down two hours south of here, you can't find a chinkapin oak. I mean,
4: it's not as rocky down there, yeah. probably, is it? Maybe, maybe.
2: You know, like on the other side of the Arkansas River okay. down to Washita. Yeah, like you can't find a chinkapin oak. This place wants to have chinkapin oaks more than standard white oaks because of all the yes. you know For we see a ton the site. of
3: chinkapin oaks on bluffs creeks okay so rocky, rocky. yep yeah so that's that's another sign that hey this is or once was very open glady like
2: so right over here is where i cut down a bodark yeah there was a bodark right there that was probably 22 23 inches at the base and was straight as an arrow no which is unusual I, yes. and it was i guess it was because the canopy was already around it and yep. so it just had to grow had up shot to, to the top out.
3: Same thing that you see with a lot of the cedars, even some of the persimmons
4: in here, they're typically straight, but I mean, they're
2: these are some big persimmons on this. There's
4: cherry over there that's very straight. Yeah, those will get the lean too. Yeah, that cedar right there, man. I'm surprised you didn't cut
2: it. Man, I would have cut that, I was going to, but it's this is like my trail, so you know, we kind of got to keep that one. But like, see, here's a big, big red oak, big, nice red oak right there. Yeah,
4: Yeah. this is like when you look here. It's it's a it's it's diverse, which is great. You have some chinkapins, but then like you look up here and you've got persimmons, which are tall and straight. And,
3: and that
2: tells you that it was open. It was open, yeah, man.
4: Yep. Yeah. There's
3: another. There's a black locust right there. There's a honey locust just down below us. Again, those are the, some of the first ones that will come back. Every farmer deals with black locusts, honey locusts coming in pastures. Well, because that's the first thing that comes back in an opening to, well, to make it and transition.
2: Here, to the here's bush. a good case study right here. So when we bought this place, the first thing I did was I cleared a quarter acre food plot.
3: Of course, that's what you're supposed to do with deer hunting.
2: Right? That's exactly what you're supposed to do. So this was woods where we're going right now. This was all woods. And I'm going to tell you a tragic. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story of triumph. Of the whitetail hunter but then i'm also going to tell you the same story in the same story a story of tragedy built this food plot dug out the stumps you know you could probably shoot 40 yards across this yep and uh let's go let's wade through all this you're probably good you're probably good
4: clay went first anyhow he got yeah. them all probably is easy to say but we still have a two-hour drive yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> good thing we didn't use colby's tick repellent chapstick yeah let <laughs> <laughs> okay so this was in 2005, I cleared a lane. So from my house, I could see this plot. It's since okay. grown up. Wow! I saw a giant deer from my house in 2007 and this is the deer I ended up killing. That, right. that big, big deer that's yep. in there. This field was a beautiful clover field. I mean, this is pretty, a clover food plot as you've ever seen, and the deer were hitting it. Well, so that's the victory, okay? Yep. And what I was shocked with at the time was that this was not the kind of place I wanted to deer hunt. I mean, to me, deer hunting was like going to some wild place. And here in my backyard, I had a <laughs> yeah. pretty suburban backyard, had these deer. But the reason I had these deer is because the 40 acres north of me was uninhabited.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I killed two real nice deer out of this food plot. And then a guy bought that place who was a big deer hunter and totally changed the deer hunting.
3: Really? Wait, oh, yeah. Well, what was
2: well, he doing? Well, he, he just lived there. Okay. He just okay. bought the land and was a deer hunter. And more power to him. He just started bringing in family, and they killed deer. And he sure. actually killed a giant deer on that place. Wow. So, do you see the status of my food plot, how dilapidated <laughs> it is?
3: <laughs> it's a native. Clay, Newcomb
2: lost though. interest in hunting here <laughs> after all the potential for big deer was pretty much gone so yeah so anyway this has been grown up for seven years Um, so if on this small property this opening what would be most beneficial for me to attract wildlife here to do with this piece of property at one time i would say this was close to a quarter acre so
4: i guess a big question would be what are the this is the same questions we always ask our clients i want to kill a deer all right so we want to kill a deer just any deer or a mature four and a half or uh, older buck. I'd like a three and one quarter <laughs>
2: year old deer.
4: So then we got to look at the neighborhood and say, what's the limited resource here? Um, is there food plots? Most, just like you told like, the like story. Around, yeah, yeah, are there food plots in the area?
2: People are feeding deer. Okay. So mm. we yeah, can bait we're deer in Arkansas, deer in Arkansas.
4: That's right. Arkansas, not that different from Texas, right? Just more yeah. trees, yeah. but we still have. good could feeders. high
2: fence this place. You could.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, feeding is a big thing. So you're not going to be able, unless you want to spend a fortune to outbait your neighbor, most likely. Right. So, okay. What is something else? And this is where a lot of people aren't doing this, but what happens to a deer that gets pressure during the fall? He starts trying to hold up, get thicker cover. He's just trying to survive and that comes in the form of thickets the best cover that's also secure so it's not getting he's not even if you have the thickest area in the neighborhood if you walk through it every day they're not going to utilize it like they would right so if you could turn in these thick pockets uh, or use uh, just young forest res- restoration cut some timber let some thickets some stump sprouts grow up that's where hinge cutting has come in really popular but if you do a mix you can provide a secure area for the deer, especially a mature deer who's keying in on a pressure a lot more than a doe and a with a with a button buck behind her that's coming into your yard every day. Yeah. So, I would much prefer if if this is an area we're in a state that you can bait. I would much prefer to have quality cover than really? a quality food plot. Okay. Well, there's uh,
3: food out there as we we're saying through bait that's super easy to get to. It's always out What if
2: I want to be cool and have a food plot I can put on Instagram?
3: (laughs) Would you rather do in that? (laughs) 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 I think, I think... Clearly I don't. (laughs) Especially on a small property, you really need to take in the neighborhood and what those other resources are or aren't. Identify that limited resource. Here, and what we find in most places, it is not only just good cover, but the secure cover. And then hunt that. Because...
2: The thing is, it doesn't take up. Well, reset it, get the cool season out. Well, I mean, and start so, cutting so, some more, okay? But but you're not saying come back in here and plant more clover.
4: You could if you want to, and then pick a spot just 100 yards that way or whichever way the property lays and get over there and then cut in a young forest pocket. It may be a half acre where you just go in, kind of do what you did here, but leave the tops where they lay, so just yeah, just cut them, yeah. And and that creates now you have pretty good food. You could have your feeder if you want. So you've got a destination feeding area, but then you have a couple of areas if you close do two to of them. Here's a full native grass sparingly. You probably
2: oh, probably yeah. oh, spied something. What is that?
4: What does it look like? Uh wheat. Kinda looks like wheat, so it's a cool season grass. It's native. But in a practical sense, a bottle brush, right?
2: Okay. Bottle I I brush grass. Is that what all it is? That's what it is. That's, that's, a, common that's a pretty yeah. common grass. And it's, that's a, it's a cool season. you'll find it in Bottle brush areas. grass. Um, and then, of course, yeah, we got, got a Virginia green wild rye. Right so, so, elm. Cut elms. Yeah, they're not doing any good, are they? Well, when
3: they're, you know, above the reach of a deer, but elm is one of the species, American elm, when you cut it and it regenerates, highly palatable food source and deer will go to that woody browse over other species mm. such a, you know, another one is flowering dogwood, um, maples. There's a couple maples and stuff through here. Cut those things. That's yeah. additional food source. Green briars growing everywhere. Encourage that type of native
4: forage to grow. So yeah. we've worked now we created land and legacy in 2017 and we've worked in 27 States across the mm. country. Um, mainly about white deer. And there's only a few tree species that we would say we find deer highly selecting to eat the leaves. Mm. And one of those, probably the most popular, Bodark. Really? Crazy. It doesn't look like a leaf that a deer would eat. It looks waxy, leathery. thick, though. Thick. But they just devour it. Really? Yeah, I'll be doing. And so you may not notice it because you have an abundance of it around here. Right, we got a lot of it. And and this is a pretty thick. You know, you have a lot of undergrowth. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's getting it's bush honeysuckle turning into bush honeysuckle. But yeah, um, yeah.
2: You know, another tree that I've I've seen in this part of the world deer that's selecting deer. for their leaves mm-hmm. is um is a mulberry. Uh, that's yep. the other one that I yeah. was yep. say. Uh, I one yeah. time was watching a doe feeding on acorns. It was it was in the fall. The leaves were turning, and, and mm-hmm. I was sitting right under this big, big mulberry. And one of those, you know, the leaves are like five, six inches across yeah. sometimes. And this yeah. big leaf, like, you know, we sw- kind of swooned down to the ground and landed. And that doe walked like thirty yards to pick that leaf up.
3: Crazy. Just, See, and, but that's the thing. She saw it. it was Observation, wild. though, in a tree stand and just being out with nature. You see those things and that is a obviously a preference right right key into those preferences and offer those types or or make that food available here on the property where it's not being elsewhere that 40 acres that the guy bought he's not going to go in there and do that kind of stuff diversify yeah. your property make it different by knowing what they like what they're attracted to and make it where it's accessible to them yeah anybody who's hunted
4: national forests has probably ran into clear cuts before and gone. well it seems like those deer really like that clear cut well those could be 50 100 200 acre clear cuts we're talking half acre to an acre to where it really congregates deer travel patterns i'll see what you're saying and so it's like well they're still beneficial now the same number of deer wouldn't use that that use a 200 acre clear cut right. but the deer in this area will certainly key in on that and start using that summer tanager is still I singing still
2: All right, we're at the Bear Honey Magazine Global Headquarters. We just went on a little tour. Nature walk. A nature walk. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got Matt Dye, Adam Keith, Colby Moorhead. Mm-hmm. We're at the Global Headquarters. Um, man, thank you guys for driving down here. I appreciate it.
3: Absolutely. So man, you guys are you.
2: fellow Ozarkers. Yeah. That's right. So we're like, uh, yeah, So so you're like pretty much in your home turf here. So you're about two hours away yep. from from where we are here. I'm um, born and
4: raised Ozarkian. Yes. Matt I'm is semi adopted, I guess. Yeah. It's just now home.
2: You know, yeah. we've been talking about uh a couple of times on the podcast we've been talking about tribalism and how that's bad. So <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to reframe my mind to not say like us and them, like Ozarkers, like versus the world, you know. That's kind of my <laughs> worldview. Is that what it's coming down to? <laughs> <laughs> Am I us or them? <laughs> Yo, you're on the border, Colby. So Colby moved here from Dallas. Transitional. So. Yeah. he's days, doing really huh? good. He's uh yeah. he's kind of picking up, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so are we
4: you said us and them and Matt and I, are we those? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Undetermined. Those, those guys from from Wabeled. across the state line. Yeah. yeah. No,
2: yeah. you know what 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 is funny though? is that between here and there, between like, you know, Northwest Arkansas and Missouri, people are really confused whether, where the South starts. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Because to me, Southern Missouri exhibits the characteristics of an upland Southern culture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So... Upland southern you know like when you when you hear the word southern and here we go again tribalism nope we're just talking about <laughs> what we see we're just the messengers here observation <laughs> Observa- yeah. no like you know like Southern culture you would typically associate with agriculture, swampland like mm-hmm. like and so that's not what this is at all no um, but I heard a phrase actually pretty recently about upland southern culture which would be the Ozarks. Sense? And the uh, the Highland Appalachian region. I was going
3: to say because I came from the east, and so yeah, I had a lot of experience be, with
2: Appalachia. And it's like this compare and
3: contrast. I have both experiences. Like I, I put almost them together. It's like well, they, exactly. That's
4: got my people, heritage. Right. You know, I'm I'm Scotch Irish, and so when when we were, I guess my ancestors were brought over. Um, it was, and they, and then they started taking homesteading or taking up um home places it was it was the the Appalachians yeah. uh, West Virginia and Virginia yeah. and then whenever that started to uh I guess when they started to move um and I guess with a little bit of history uh when they ran out of money then they moved on to the Ozarks yeah, because yeah. it was so much like West Virginia, Virginia. I would think that you know, in, in my mindset, if if it didn't work back there, I, I wouldn't move to some place
2: that looks very similar and try it again. <laughs> try it again. Yeah. Yeah. But they did. Yeah. So yeah. here and I that's am. That's why the Ozarks are one of the poorest places in the country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because exactly. they tried it again here yep. and it didn't yep. work again. <laughs> yeah, so, I would no, like, so just what? stop
3: in Kentucky or Tennessee. <laughs> yeah,
2: good. I, I read just the other day that. Um, at one time in the Ozarks of Arkansas, 70% of the settlers were from mid-Tennessee, middle Tennessee. Huh. Really? So we, have, we had a ton of overlap with culture between mm-hmm. middle Tennessee and, and eastern Tennessee as well, but like that was like the travel route. And mm-hmm. you can see how patterns started to develop in communities because you know, there would be these communities that formed, and then they're like, hey, G- Jim and Sue moved to Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And I hear there's this and that there. And this, like, constantly these people were moving based upon a promise of a better oh, future. Sure. Yeah. It's a really? cattleman's paradise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the old for day. For <laughs> yeah. Uh, No, so, yeah, it's good to have you guys here. Man, so you guys have a, a business called Land and Legacy. Mm-hmm. And Land and Legacy is uh, a lot of different things. Tell me what Land and Legacy is.
3: How much time do we have? Yeah,
2: <laughs> so essentially, give me the, give me pull the short down. version, and then we'll get into the long version. Well, just then as I'll, we answer talk the version <laughs> oh, I'll answer the short version, and answer. is this how this works. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like the teamwork.
4: So, we're a natural resource management land consulting firm.
0: Okay, so nice. we work
4: with landowners across the country to restore landscapes to offer quality, healthy landscapes for the wildlife that live there. Um, sometimes we get into cattle uh multi use properties where we're trying to integrate crop rotations cattle rotations with with uh more productive wildlife populations
2: yeah now are are you guys i know you're very well versed in biology what's your educational background in
3: so I have a degree in biology with the concentration of wildlife management
2: okay and
4: i'm I'm an agriculture animal science so I come from the ag world okay um, but have You know, I was fortunate enough to have a family farm that was cattle operation, but was really passionate about hunting. So my brother and I, um, we just kind of self-taught school of hard knocks of cutting trees that really attracted wildlife uh, burning that really helps the wildlife things like that sounds so.
2: like you have a really complicated process here cut trees attract wildlife burn attract wildlife you know it's you know, like, like really a, like caveman stuff
4: you can pretty you can, much yeah <laughs> it's like There's, what was nature you know caveman style like i I call it caveman. Um, thought process. I was where making a joke, and now you're like, I'm dead serious. Well, Clark. It's dead funny serious. because, like, because you know, first caveman when he saw fire for the first time, he said, "Ooh, fire, I, good." Yeah. Make more fire. Some of that. Yeah. 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 If you build the bedding, deer will come. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> kind I mean, kind it, of. Yeah.
3: Kind of. Essentially, you can boil land management down to disturbances. Fire mm. and cutting trees are is a type of disturbance. Cattle mm. grazing is a type of disturbance. So. As many articles and stuff as you can read about land management and this and that, you can quickly complicate things. But essentially, man, you've got a lot of disturbances on properties. You're probably going to have quite a bit of wildlife.
2: Yeah, it, it, but isn't that the, the history of North American continent? Like, we often have this image that pre-European settlement, the continent was just like full of wildlife, Yes, and and what I've been reading in a, a book by Brooks Blevins, we had Brooks Blevins on the podcast a while back, is that there was a there was a period of time, potentially thousands of years, when much of the Ozarks were uninhabited year round by Native Americans. Huh. Yeah, so there was there was a year round colonization by Native Americans. Well, let me back up. 12,000 years ago is the first human evidence in the Ozarks for, you know, that's that's when the people first got here. Yeah. They stayed here year-round for like a couple thousand years they were here. And then for whatever reason, permanent settlement retreated, huh. and then there were several thousand years. And that was part of the reason the Ozarks were so uh uh, such a good place to settle in the 1700s it, like when French trappers and stuff the French were the ones that settled all these places yep. and named all these places it's really a shame tribalism boom I love I love the French Um the uh and when they got here there were no year round native tribes here and the Osage were the main ones that were mm-hmm. using this and yep. they would seasonally hunt this Right. Mm-hmm. and and uh, so, anyway, I can't remember exactly why I started telling that story. Something
3: about disturbances, maybe? Disturbances. Yeah, yeah.
2: For so us. So, we had, we had this idea that, that there was all this wildlife here, but yeah. when the Native Americans weren't here, those several thousand years where there weren't as much human disturbances, primarily by fire,
1: mm-hmm.
2: wildlife populations were
4: lower. Yeah. And I think populations, too, when you read the journals of some of the early exploration, they'll talk a lot about wildlife and, and the vast quantities that were there. But you also have to understand, too, when you look back and, and kind of study that, is that populations fluctuated pretty significantly. Like, yeah. if you had really severe winters a couple of years in a row, populations were lower. Or major drought, and or you had a influx of prey population, and then... At some point following that is an influx of predator populations, so the prey species lowered, Mm -hmm. and once it lowered to a certain amount, prey species uh, or predator species moved on or or starved. And so, you know, depending on when you were here, and we talk a lot, so much about native landscapes, that's a big Mm -hmm. part of our business, but that's where, you know— the question is, well, what do we call a native, what time frame? Right. Yeah, and we right, go right. for what's achievable. Well, you know, that 1700, just pre-European settlement. Yeah. Because we can't go back and bring animals that have gone extinct. Like, we can go <laughs> back. <tooth>. That's <laughs> not in
2: Land and Legacy's wheelhouse <laughs> no. to bring this no. back to,
4: like, the Pleistocene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So no. we really try to manage for that native 1700, you know, pre-settlement. Well, yeah, and and yeah, we yeah. know that
3: it was through the, the settlers that it was an abundant landscape with lots of wildlife, with lots of diversity, fantastic mixtures of different plant communities from hard mass producing trees all the way down to, you know, grasses, yeah. both cool and warm season stuff. Like there's everything here growing in the landscape. So if that was some of the best times, well, let's restore it. Let's yeah. get it back.
4: Yeah. yeah. Or you, or you read those journals, uh, you know, everybody's probably at some point stumbled upon or read a portion of the Lewis and Clark journals, but they talk a lot about the species that they find or use for medicinal purposes, and it's like, oh yeah, we got that. We don't have a lot of it anymore, but it's still here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so that's always been really, really
2: cool for me to look back in history and study those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cabeza de Vaca. Have you ever ever read that book? I have not. Cabeza de Vaca. Yeah. it's right. He's up throwing out here. different languages. He here was, and yeah, he said served. that. I was like, really, you should, you you, sh- you should read the book. Cabeza. C A yeah. C- we'll, we'll C- C- V. will write that down. It, yeah. it, it's, <laughs> it's the first journal of the first European that traveled across the southern United States mm, in 15 really? uh, something.
1: Yeah, is that that'd the, be awesome. What C- is that? Cabeza
2: de Vaca. Okay. Uh, that, that was his name. He was a, uh, he was a Spanish guy. Hmm. And, uh, Incredible book. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm going to backtrack on myself because I think I got it mixed up. When the when the Native Americans were gone, there was wildlife populations increased. Yeah. When they were here year-round, they decreased. But the fire suppression and the stuff that they did was was obviously really beneficial to them. And so yeah. the whole point of a lot of the people that talk about that Cabeza de Vaca book is... Basically he went all the way th- he started in Florida and went all the way to South Texas. Basically okay. all the uh, <laughs> <laughs> poor soul he was yeah. burning up oh, probably Ooh. it was Across incredible swamps,
4: especially it, with the amount of swamps that we uh, had back yes. then.
2: And and basically he they saw very little big megafauna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they talked about deer, they talked about seeing native tribes that had some Puma mountain lion Mm -hmm. decor. So you know they were mountain lions, but they never killed one. They never talked about bear. Really? Yeah. It was was pretty. It was pretty incredible. But but the the whole point of it was is that uh, there there are these fluctuations, and and we would you know you would think it would just be this like zoo. Yeah. This, you know, in 15, I can't remember exactly when the book was written, but incredible book. Wow. It was incredible.
4: And thinking you know, one thing you said there kind of stirs a comment for me is when the, when the native Americans were here, there wasn't as many animals cause they were obviously killing them and eating them and, mm-hmm. and putting pressure. So driving populations away. Yeah. Um, but then you think a lot about, well, what was probably occurring if there was no hunting? Well, populations grew. They probably started eating a lot more. Uh, We see this all the time in in our work in present day of deer populations exploding, people not managing them. Um, Therefore, young forest uh, and woody browse and plant communities are are overeaten um, to where then you have winter kills. Uh, If you get a really bad winter, there's no food. So then nature thins the herd Mm -hmm. in a very uh, brutal way. Yeah, compared yeah, yeah. to the way we should be doing it, and, yeah. and
3: that's not documented because like yeah. people weren't there, so yeah. like you're just you're left to kind way of back, a, yeah. assume yeah. like, well, that's the way populations work. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy, and there wasn't that uh, suburban uh, area impacting all of this at the same time, like you know, yeah. isolation of of um, populations where they can't move and migrate like yeah buffalo gosh imagine the range on those things mm-hmm.
2: back then yeah yeah, yeah. huge yeah. huge. well yeah there were there were buffalo all the way down into arkansas yeah. all through yeah. the ozarks and missouri yeah. and that's relevant to you guys because what you guys what i hear you guys talking about a lot is, is restoration of native landscapes so i think probably to to people that are paying quite a bit of attention like they recognize that like invasive species are a a big problem inside of our landscapes. Um, I would, you say,
4: I, I feel like sometimes when we talk invasive species that we could, we could take the people in this country that are really aware of it and fill up this room. Um, it seems like there's not a lot of people that are aware of what's going on around A lot of it's people not, see I, green, Well, talk to me about that because yeah,
2: I, I hear sure. you guys talk about that a ton. Yeah. And, in and, and with my background too, I mean, I, I recognize Invasive species, and sometimes we have this love hate relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Japanese honeysuckle. Like I grew up killing deer on Japanese honeysuckle oh, yeah. in January right. and February down yep. on public land in Southwest yeah. Arkansas. I never yeah. was that great at it, but my dad was better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like honeysuckle to us is like sweet a honeysuckle yeah. patch. Oh yeah, and then but but we also know the overall long term benefits of that are yeah low compared to what you could have. Absolutely. So talk to me about. Invasive species. Yeah. You know, that's something
4: that you say that Um, it's in our position and in in our, uh, what we promote is, uh, you know, it it can, obviously we've had a, a, we've got to work with a lot of landowners, but if we go down South and we're like invasive species, we got to get rid of Japanese honeysuckle and a deer hunter down there who's been making his life finding patches of, he's like, get out of here. You guys don't know how to grow deer that they're eating the honeysuckle well then we go up north and it's like uh oh you know, we got to get rid of the autumn olive and they're like that's where all the deer are you guys are foolish like uh, <laughs> yeah. but when it comes to longevity and the actual health of animal populations that's actually sustainable and can continue we have to monitor our invasive species
2: and so, so why why are there so many invasive species that people are so connected to for instance uh Eastern red cedar around here, like yep. I know you guys, like that's a curse word. Well, to, I, I should say break this. Break that down. Yeah, yeah. Inva- uh, it, invasive well, and, 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 species. I'm sorry, that's not invasive. That's a native species. Native species, it, native well,
4: species yeah. with an aggressive tendency. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: so if you disturb the landscape, it's going to pop up. Can, or don't
4: burn, uh, or yeah. improper yeah, 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 yeah. grazing management, things yeah, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Cause so, uh,
3: there's right the non-native side, and then there are. Just invasive species that have that tendency to just grow, grow, grow without that disturbance. So because they don't have
4: a natural
2: predator, correct. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, like you take like a beaver eating, uh, like a cedar tree eating beaver. Like uh, I never like thought insects or a fungus, species like yeah, mm-hmm. fungus,
3: yes. <laughs> insects, things <laughs> yes. like that, that are controlling yes. that species. Gotcha. Those don't usually make the whatever transition from whether the species came from Asia, <laughs> Europe, whatever. Those natural predators are left, but this plant is here, and now it can grow seemingly uncontrolled, mm-hmm. yeah. very aggressive, because that predator is not here present in this landscape. So yeah. take
4: common milkweed, which any deer hunters probably at some point use common milkweed to be a wind indicator. It's a native species here, uh, but if you notice some years you can monitor common milkweed and be like, You know, there's there's a couple bugs that are all over that. And it it started to make seed pods, and those seed pods kind of just shriveled up, and it didn't make seed. It didn't appear like uh, those little black and orange, sometimes uh, solid black, but little aphids, Mm -hmm. um, little insect that are all over them. And some years you're like, man, the aphids took all the milkweed. Something happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But then other years you're like, man, I got a ton of milkweed. But then it's like as you see that population increase and you see – the insects come in, uh, and it just looks a little sick. But mm. you take common milkweed and then go to Asia, where it is an invasive species on their, in their part of the world, and it, the leaves are all perfect. It makes no, seed because there is no natural predator. Yeah. Nothing to really kind of keep it at bay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just one example. I, I, yeah. There's been so many times on my farm where I've been fighting invasive species and mm. through whether it's cutting or herbicide use, whatever it is, uh, it's just been like, oh, my goodness, is this a never-ending battle? Because it Mm -hmm. sure feels like that. Uh, And you kind of have that thought process. Is there somebody where I'm sitting here fighting a species from Asia? Is there somebody in Asia fighting a species? And they are, like common ragweed, common milkweed. Those are the common invasive species. And hmm. So like, at least like, we do have that to cheer about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a fair trade. <laughs> it's a fair trade. <laughs> but
3: like going back to that comment of like down south, yeah, people are promoting and hunting over and, and like Japanese honeysuckle. Up north, a lot of people are loving the autumn olive. But it's like, what happens? Like that that's such a small time frame to put yourself in of you going to the woods observing maybe a deer walking out of an autumn olive thicket but that same acre what happens if you remove that autumn olive and you replace it with a native shrub now that offers both cover, the same quality cover, and then forage on top of that. Now you just improve that acre for the species you're for wanting. For the time frame. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, so so I, like, I
2: understand what you're saying. So like, yeah, like Japanese honeysuckle would be beneficial. I mean, deer aren't browsing Japanese honeysuckle that much when there's better stuff available. Yeah, They're correct. browsing it at the peak stress periods. the only yeah. thing
3: that's green. During that time And frame, so right?
2: we would come in without knowledge and go, well... Japanese honeysuckle is the only reason these deer survive. Caveman mindset. Mm-hmm. Remember right.
4: when I said, oh, caveman fire, good. Mm-hmm. Need yeah. more fire. It's like, oh, Japanese honeysuckle, good. Yeah, Need more Japanese saving honeysuckle. my deer.
2: But yeah. if you took that, what, I, what I'm hearing you say, Matt, is if you took that five acres and improved it with a native vegetation, that would become valuable year-round for the deer. Absolutely. Now, they may not all 30 deer on your, you know, property may not be in that one yeah. half acre and we still and that's what have, that's the that's, that's then the perception correct yeah, is that correct. this is valuable well yeah you might spread them out a little bit
3: we have to look at and we fight this quite a bit but we have to look at population and landscape level not just and we did it here on your property not just your seven acres or not just your 40 acres we got to look at like the whole neighborhood and say What's What does this population, this deer population need? Not that individual target buck. Like, what what does he need? Does he need this food plot? No, no, no. We got to look at the whole landscape and say, we got to improve it. So if it means taking away Japanese honeysuckle from this big patch and improving it, well, that's what we need to do.
2: How many native species, invasive species would be, like, if you're just like, on my property, would you say 20% of the species are invasive?
4: Mm. I really, um, I, I, on your property, or, or right? on,
2: on any property,
4: I'm just trying to get an oh, idea because it, it varies so oh, greatly. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it greatly depends with, on the region. For here, I really only my mind probably only wraps around bushany suckle. Uh, There's multi floor rows. Yeah, I guess that's it's Fescue, true. Um, fescue, up up fescue which I don't know if I would technically call it an invasive. Um, some people, you know, if you say invasive around a bunch of cattle guys and say fescue, you probably get... You're not walking away from that. Your <laughs> face restructured. Um, but... Now, but it, I mean, to, it's a basic an I guess species. to answer yes. your question, yeah, it's a non-native species. Right. Growing yeah. tendencies,
3: um, yes. Yeah. And for these purposes of what the seven acres But I mean, is, it didn't yes. come from here. No. Correct, no. It, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So no need to say... soften the
2: blow for the cattlemen, man. <laughs> this is a hunting Magazine <laughs> podcast. So fescue is
0: terrible
4: if we're looking at it from a wildlife standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's really not great if we look at it from a cattle standpoint fescue right, right now. man. It's terrible That's it. mm-hmm. because we drove through miles and miles of brown, yellowish colored fields. It's a cool season grass trying to survive the summer heat. Yeah. It hot, doesn't stand a chance. It's been hot
3: and dry. It doesn't feel um, do good. Mm-hmm.
4: And so, as on average, I, I, I'll I'll play your game with the question, I guess. Yeah. When it comes to overall working all these properties across the country um, and trying to monitor uh, the amount of, let's just say, non-native versus invasive, invasive, it would probably be mind blowing for a lot of people to realize right. how much of their property is colonized by non-native species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it be uh, smooth brome, reeds canary, tall fescue. I mean, that's just listing some of our- Those are the grasses. The grasses, um, or Bermuda grass yep. down South bahia or Bahia grass. grass. Um, and then you go into the shrubs, autumn olive, bush honeysuckle, uh, Chinese privet. Um, then you can go into, vines. Uh, trees. Oh uh,
2: yeah. Vines. You got uh, the
3: English ivy, oriental bittersweet. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on from Wisteria? the difference. Wisteria, yeah. Uh,
2: Vinca, Vinca Minor, do y'all see that?
3: That sounds familiar. What's the common name?
2: I don't know. Yeah. It I, I'm may not be sure. Minor, maybe Vinca Major. The, I've got some, and I think it, it was a landscape cover crop that I see in the woods. Huh.
3: You're a landscaping
2: the, guy. Yeah. So you're to blame. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <that they're laughs> yeah. they, they it all you know the time. You know how awful
4: it is uh, in the in the landscaping. Japanese
2: barberry, other shrub. Oh, that's oh, a bad. I one. I saw one of those that y'all posted that was out mm-hmm. in the woods. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the crimson
4: crimson red barberry yep. or something like dwarf barberry yep. is a big one. Like we drove by, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. It was a new church uh, right up to where we're at. Um, that they had just built the church during all this. Covid nineteen stuff, and then all of a sudden, you see out in front, and there's like twenty barberry trees or shrubs planted, and I'm like, ah what? how that's how, a that's a how, Why do we have to repeat history? That's here? a
2: popular landscape plant. I've sure, never yeah. seen one outside of a landscape bed, though. That's and what and
4: here's the thing: this is where because if you look, it was first introduced and used in landscaping in the East Coast, so you have to have a uh, like a seed source, and so. Out there, that's where you have it a lot. Hmm. Here, it's just started to be used in landscaping on a on a pretty uh, regular basis. So, I mean, hate to look in our magic eight ball and say, what's the future look like? But I would imagine, based on the planting rate that we're starting to see it on the landscape uh, in residential and commercial properties, we'll probably start seeing it in our I, understanding. For, for, the for
3: instance, for as an example, the one that, one of the worst... Um, infestations i've seen was of japanese barberry specifically was right on the new york pennsylvania border and we're talking middle of nowhere i mean small mm. small small town not a big intersection traffic area nothing we're middle of four five hundred acres it's everywhere through the timber so mm. how did it get here really doesn't matter because it's there but yeah absolutely and we're again middle of nowhere North hmm. Central Pennsylvania. You, just you've like, worked other properties in Central Pennsylvania that are just crazy infested. Hmm. It's
4: almost like, you know, when you go to the beach with a family and you head home, there's sand still everywhere. And then months later, you're still at your house, states and states away, and you still find that sand. It's like the seed source. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it has to trickle out. Yeah. and Brush hogging
3: equipment. For, uh, mm-hmm. Skitters, dozers, it travels on that stuff. Boots, you know, there like yeah. a lot of these stuff, you know, will stick to animals' hide and fur. It it's stick you to guys. Boots. It's <laughs> us. Well, We hunted.
2: Y'all said they said they worked in 27 states since mm. 2017. <laughs> we washed yeah. the boots Did before you? we get yeah, back. Yeah, I should have <laughs> power washed your boots before we <laughs> went on my property. We always through. make sure we wash <laughs> for the CWD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
4: like we always make that joke. You go out west yeah. to hunt elk. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let's make sure we wash our boots off. I don't want to bring any of that stuff back. Yeah, that's
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> probably not a. joke joke
3: (laughs) (laughs) but the amount of traffic that moves around this place and country that's how it gets moved you don't i mean so the seeds on most of this stuff is so small
2: it's just inconsequential you you don't even think about the seed bank i i I don't know a lot about the seed bank but it's it is absolutely fascinating that you could take a chunk of soil from out in my yard that Mm -hmm. has been you know in it was it, my front yard would have been a blueberry and kind of like truck farm okay. back from the okay. 40s through the yeah. 60s and maybe even 70s. Yeah. And so you know it was a- in agriculture for around here anyway. You know, you could take a block of that soil and go plant it and and probably find an incredible amount of native stuff inside of it that's yeah. been dormant in that mm-hmm. in that ground for so long. Yep. You know what strikes me about all this, even talking about invasive species and stuff, is the resiliency and the energy and the life inside of nature. Oh. I mean, it's like incredible. I mean, isn't that th- amazing? Thank it, God it, that
3: it's like that, though. Could you yeah. imagine, like all like they we, were we as weak across. as we were, as yeah. we are, or, yeah. or you go across? <laughs> yeah, and you I give see up. <laughs> so yeah. many areas that are like, oh man, that's, that's such. Let's say generally poor quality habitat. Like that's just bad. Man, but with some of the right practices and disturbances, the the things that come back in such a short time frame, it, it is powerful stuff. And it's yeah. incredible to see Like there's so much life if we just let it breathe. If yeah. we just remove the bad, add sunlight, get a little bit of rain, wham! Yeah. Most times,
4: it's incredible. With no yeah. fertilizer, you don't nothing. have to plant the seed. It's just like the way That's, God designed it to yep. just grow yeah. just to live just, work. just just, just work works. like we did a on a property that we manage um right next to my family farm it was you know it's a west mainly west southwest facing slope and crummy timber wasn't great you know real rocky very Bare, barely any plants growing in the understory leaves not sticks. not not great quality and and so we manage a lot, a lot of our landowners manage for deer. That's the focus, mm-hmm. or quail, or turkeys. But if they've hired us, they've already probably gone to the holistic mindset where they're like, "I don't want to do anything that's detrimental to pollinators mm-hmm. or um, yeah. to my forest, to my, to the water quality. i to make
3: this land as healthy as it can
4: be." Yeah, generally so. knowing that that's going to bring in more deer, uh, or yeah. bigger deer. Yeah, and so. We're like, okay, this is not good for pollinators, not good for the birds, really. It's pretty much just setting idle and somebody's Stacking. paying taxes on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what we did was we went in and we, we did a logging operation. They cut some timber, uh, as much as they could find. Um, and really the goal was to completely give it a facelift Yeah, and just change it. Because where it's at was bad, let's make it good. And, and so,
3: too, real quick the direction, if you hadn't done anything, it wasn't really getting better by itself.
4: No. Yeah. It was just slow, just decay. slow growing. Yeah. Yeah. Trees were going to, they were all too densely growing, mm. so they were not healthy, so that made them more susceptible to disease yeah. or storm or, yeah. or whatever the case may be to mm-hmm. where we were going to have to just wait on nature to either kill it with the disease, mm. blow it over with the storm, some kind of disturbance yeah, uh, yeah. or a fire. And... Uh, So we decided to speed that process up Mm -hmm. and do what God called us to do, be a gamekeeper, be a land manager, uh, Mm -hmm. be a caretaker. And so what we did was we cut trees, we opened up that canopy, and then we went back in with uh, chainsaws. Cut some more trees. And cut some more (laughs) trees. (laughs) Because what's most timber operations? They come in, it's almost like picture, because most people picture a garden. You go in, you harvest your crops, Mm -hmm. your corn, your soybeans, or I guess you're not growing soybeans in your garden, vegetables. Mm And then you just leave leave it idle and the weeds grow up. Well, yeah. then they make seed and then that's what's yeah. growing back. And so you start this generation of weeds. Yeah. And yeah. so what we did was we cut it. Now we, we cut a lot of crop. Now we have to cut the weeds too and release the next generation of crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we thinned it and then we started burning it, We had big blue stem growing up that had a 12 inch crown at the, Mm. you know, at the base of the ground Mm -hmm. where it had been sitting there just trying to survive.
3: Like like one or two sprigs we may have seen on that site when it was roughly closed canopy timber. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking full crowns, six,
2: seven seven foot foot tall. Do you think I have big blue stem on this property? It would have been in the native range. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I hear yeah, I hear yeah. Big Blue Stim used like almost like the crown jewel of oh. southeastern like Southeastern land yeah. management. Gotcha. Now, so
3: so I think that there's a big big misunderstanding. <laughs> like holy words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big blue stem. Oh well like <laughs> yeah. and, and most people, we're gonna generalize here, love to manage for deer. And so they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, all I want is, you know, this CRP grass. I want Switchgrass, Indian grass, big blue stem. I want well, tall here, grass that doesn't yeah. blow over. Here's the thing: mm-hmm. deer don't eat grass. So all you have is then is cover. Mm. So don't get me wrong; it's a native type of cover, but they're not eating it. So what are they going to eat? I don't want yeah. a whole property. I don't want a property dominated in
2: just a grass. Why don't deer eat grass? I mean, I know they they don't. can't break it down in their yeah. in their gut, but yeah. they and they eat some grass. Like yep. they yeah. may
4: eat. Um, you know, wheat is a
2: is a grass. I think it's
3: about five percent of their diet is comprised of grass. Some type of grass. Yeah. 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 So it's but just, it's not
2: very, very Because small. They're, they're, they're a woodland animal, so they Absolutely. would have well, and, and guess where and what browse.
3: grows in woodlands? Typically broadleaves. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a mixture of sunlight, canopy. Yeah. And so the leaf itself is is wider to capture more sunlight, where grasses you find them in pretty much open areas where they're long and slender, where they get three sixty sun. Well, they're going to forage on something that is there—a yeah. woodland species. So, orbs.
2: if you know, a lot of our, I mean, a lot of people, you know, the eastern deciduous forest takes up probably the majority. Or, well, let me let me say, closed canopy forest would probably be the majority of the North American continent. Now, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. So, so what would you, in general, like if if a guy had a property, <laughs> just average property. Oh. You, <laughs> Cut some timber, let some sunlight get down to the forest floor. What else would you tell him? I would say manage
4: with the natural disturbance. Um, Man, you you asked a question right there that would excite me, not to say I want this position. I said big blue stem like five minutes ago. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably, he's got to come out of his chair. Look at we're talking invasive species, and we're talking. In. And you guys gave me now plenty natives. of plenty of
2: room to wave my no, arms. You and get you got animals. to. If we if ever the have canopy. Adam canopy. And Keith on your podcast? You better give him lots of. The space. sunlight that's is that's shining up. in right now. So <laughs> to...
4: when it when we look at our landscape now or our country, and it is closed canopy forest, if if. For the most part, you see that. Um, There's some major red flags of that, but there's some major possibilities I see of of the opportunity to restore a healthy forest by doing some cutting. First thing I would probably do is consult with a local forester um, and tell them the overall goal is a healthy forest. For not just the, the trees itself, but the wildlife. I think that gets blurred a little bit of going, mm-hmm. I want a healthy forest. Well, it looks a little bit more closed canopy than the wildlife may want. Um, so I would like to see some active management um, to where we are cutting a little bit of timber. We are using that money to hopefully manage it, give some employ, uh, hire some employees to use prescribed fire if that's what that site needs. Mm-hmm. Um if it's, if it's not supposed to be a forest, sometimes we get into glades where it's like, this is growing up in trees that we don't even need. Now, most likely those trees aren't ones that are going to make any kind of timber income, but we need to cut those, burn it. Let's bring in some grazing animals. Let's let's get some disturbance here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what you typically don't see anymore happening Mississippi and East
3: is the middle ground. You typically have pastures or croplands. So, Open fields, either getting crops or cool season, non-native pastures, or you have 100% closed canopy timber. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on a spectrum in between that.
2: On your on, you guys' podcast, one time I heard it described really well. It wasn't. It was one of your guests. Okay, and he described. The, <laughs> I was going like, we yeah, can't take credit. <laughs> <ready, guys. laughs> yeah, Darn it. I'm sorry guys, I could have <laughs> just lied and said it all, <laughs> and y'all would have been like, "Yeah, I said that." <laughs> yeah. No, you probably have said it. It, but his analogy was like like rating vegetation on a scale of one to ten. Yeah, yeah. and a, a one would be like a fresh-cut Bermuda lawn on a golf yeah. course, mm. and a 10 would be... Yeah, I know we didn't say that because I would have closed... gave that a negative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, ten, a 10 would be a closed canopy, like, full-scale forest. Yeah. And he said we have a lot of 1s and 10s and not a lot of 5s. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, so the, the, the gradient would be, you know, like, is there... How much of your property is grassland with mid-level shrubs, you know, like, mm-hmm. successionary... Early areas. successional habitat, yeah, yeah,
3: is in such a decline. It's like imagine I I can't even imagine a landscape where let's just say you asked about a percentage. Let's just say ten tw- percent of the country's invasive species. I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but just imagine if that same ten percent was early successional habitat, and how much better it would be.
4: Not just for deer, quail but also pollinators which is a big yeah. buzzword right now not, yeah, not just yeah. if you just species. look break down the landscape right now and you look at let's just say Missouri and East because out west you know Oklahoma even has some pretty good native landscape mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. Um, probably because we haven't moved enough of us haven't moved out there to completely destroy it yet but you go Missouri and east and we have a majority of the open landscape is either, uh, we've got, of course, residential areas, towns, cities. Then you go into crops or pastures, which for the most part, most cattle operations are non-native dominated yeah. grasses. So those two are both non-natives um, and aren't great for wildlife. Then you go into the forests, and you have closed canopy, unmanaged forests. Um, and then... You go down the south, and you go into pine plantations where it's kind of monoculture. monoculture. Yep. And and All then now we go, well, how come there are wildlife anymore? It's, that's a depressing way to look at it because nothing that they adapted with over years and years and years is that way anymore. I would, yeah. I would
3: say this probably pretty confidently that in many places or let's say regions of the country or your state – a lot of wildlife populations are surviving. They're not thriving. I think that we see some properties that are doing a lot of good things, or a neighborhood or a co-op is where the wildlife can thrive, and that's where we see some of the best either populations or individuals. Whether it's a great, you know, a giant deer, um, but in many of the places, we're simply just seeing wildlife survive. Just percent. They're just now see, and that's
2: a little bit surprising, I guess, because. In some ways, because like around here, now we don't have a really thick population. Well, there, here we're running into a lot of problems already. Like maybe a thick deer population isn't what we want, but generally that's what people would think. Yeah. Like most deer hunters would be like a, a indicator of how good the habitat is and how good deer are doing is how many deer we have. Absolutely. But, w- but would, actually, would, that's wrong.
3: I would say this go back to that same analogy of the habitat of the one to the 10 ratio. If you have a one or a very low population when it comes to deer, you don't have a lot of individuals to determine how good or healthy an environment is. So you just have to lessen a population. If you have too many, then you have a stressful environment where none of them can reach potential. But if you're in the middle at that five range, yeah. you have a healthy balance of I've got enough deer or individuals on the landscape where I can grow, get some to an age, but then there's not too many of them at their carrying capacity where they can all then still reach their full potential. Yeah. So it's a happy medium between yeah. it all.
4: For the deer uh, hunters out there, you know, you think about our part of the world is not known for growing giant deer, but it's not known for. Really, it's not it's not Southern Iowa or West Illinois that everybody's talked about. We have a lot more trees. Most of our forest is not managed, so we just don't have as much food availability. No. Um, the land use is different, and so we just don't have that many two hundred inch deer that show up. Yeah, but you get you take a site or a co op a decent track of ground and you really start managing and really increasing the quality of the habitat, you start seeing big deer show up. Mm-hmm. But then what you also start seeing is does with twins, does with triplets, and you see that population start blowing up. And then over a course of time, you'll see those giant deer that you had fade away and start going back down to what you had before, but mm. you just have a lot more deer. Yeah. Mm. Social stress, food availability has changed. Wait. And so, if you really are shooting for giant deer, the biggest deer you can have on your or in your neighborhood, you got to get the habitat at max level where it's just food year round, and you have to keep that deer population below holding capacity. Mm-hmm. That way, those yeah. deer have the 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 oh, amount of nutrients. of it. We've,
3: we've seen and been on a bunch of different places. Some that are like, let's just say zero or one when it comes to like quality habitat. We've been on some sites that are seven and eight. And it's like, man, this stuff is good, man. Uh, this neighborhood's rocking. But at the same time, most places have way too many deer. And you're like, you're You could, you're so good. they could be
2: doing a lot better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And absolutely. S- and I guess that that's just, the, that's the point that I'm getting at. is like, we evaluate deer so often just by how many there are. I mean- mm-hmm. And so you you don't think about like I, yeah. I I don't think about this area having like really poor habitat. I, I mean I do I guess I'm a little bit I mean, I've been educated a little bit about, you know, how to improve habitat mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. But I mean most people wouldn't like the the landowners that I hunt on, like, they're just like, Man, we got lots of deer. Oh right. yeah. Just, right. You know, the, like,
4: you don't know what you don't know. Like yeah. just people uh, for instance, just you know, we've worked around home. We actually do more work probably away from home than we do at home because nobody's really setting out thinking they can grow a 200-inch deer in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we deal with our local neighbors, and it's just like, so what do you do? You work with landowners who, well, shoot, what we're doing here is great. We got plenty of deer. It's <laughs> like, no, no, we you're don't. Missing, it could be so much better. Like, and, I, yeah. and I
3: think that's so many people in any given region have likely underestimated their region itself. Yeah. It's like I've been here, I've observed this for ten years. It's like this is status quo. Well if something's status quo, then you don't have again disturbances in that environment to change, manipulate, improve. Therefore the wildlife will benefit from it. So status quo is like bad (laughs) from where we come from. It's like every region there there's there's not a place I, I can like that we've been to that I'm like yikes. Man, just whether that's the native vegetation that's that's there or um, that can be there is is subpar. Most places we go to, it's all there. It just needs that massive facelift, and then it will it will be that potential where man, you can you can grow and kill boon and crocodile.
2: What's the what's the what's the temperature? I mean, obviously your 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 business is doing well, so there's people that are willing to. Talk about these things and implement these strategies. What would you say the temperature of the you know at least this part of the country is for the type of wildlife management that you guys are talking about? Is it pretty high? I this, mean, is your this phone region ringing? i no, well, just north just, North America. Yeah, you okay. guys aren't being limited to anywhere. I think it's growing.
4: I oh, I, yeah. I definitely think that we uh, our mindset is growing. Uh, people are being more aware of what's happening to our land. Um, yeah. I think people are starting to understand that you can't take a forest and say, there, forest, go be a forest, and you're going to be a forest in 100 years that's still healthy. We yeah. can't do that. The The yeah. preservation mindset, in my opinion, is not something that we can do in a lot of places because of invasive right. species. Um, and so I think there's people who are really keen on on, uh, native landscaping. There's companies out there that are really starting to promote their right. planting. I see, right. I see more echinacea planted in landscapes mm-hmm. now than I ever mm-hmm. have,
2: and people are starting to become aware it's of purple tone flower. There you That's go. It? Yeah. 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 yeah, and uh, which is endemic to the Ozarks. There you go. Started yeah. here. We saw
4: a lot of it growing in, uh on the roadways coming down here. Yeah. Um, Saw a lot of the bad stuff coming down through here too. <laughs> Don't um, even say what it was. Man. <laughs> Don't go there, Don't man. even propagate just, it. Just, just, <laughs> just People will
2: go out, whatever you'd say that's bad, people will go out, get it and plant it in that's their it, yard. Take it. a guess. <laughs> that and it was can't. there. <laughs> that's like pretty, pretty talking about cigarettes in front of the kids. Don't even do it. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, and uh. so,
4: yeah, it's definitely growing. There's a lot of people that are like, I want clean, I want a healthy landscape. I want clean water. I want clean air. I want to make... I want to feel like I'm being a part of a of a solid movement that's worthwhile. I think yeah. that's def that we're
3: definitely seeing that we're seeing you know people like the regenerative agriculture model and just understanding cattle and grazing and the and the cattle are a tool essentially. If if you mules have or yeah. mules or yeah, mules, yeah, there you go.
2: Can y'all implement mules into more of your stuff?
3: Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. for for dra- grazing about, is a about, little about, different than. No, 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 no. than We'd we'll, we'll get them to drag so? the logs out that we cut. <laughs>
2: yeah, like horses horses graze differently yeah. than cattle. Oh yeah, um, they do. Well, mules graze different than horses. Okay, how so? Well, they're 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 known for being less selective. Oh,
3: cool. so they okay. could be
4: good at weed control. So you have to uh, make that bush honeysuckle. If off the they hill. can <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing: if you can train a mule to select cerisa Lespidiza, you're hired, and just, dude, you don't even need Challenge to do Bear Magazine. Accepted. We got a full time job for you. <laughs> just turn loose this mule, magic
2: yeah. <laughs> mule. Yeah,
4: and because like horses, they eat grass and keep returning. Ultimately, they'll pull it up by the roots if they want. Cattle. You know, if they're trained and used appropriately, they're not as selective. Mm. They'll eat almost anything. Even we've seen cows on good operations eat uh, honey locust oh, yeah. in mm. a young form. You wouldn't think they would, but they hammer it. Yep. Um mm. And so, and it's all the way that you use that tool. If yeah. you're rotating, managing them,
3: right? Or, if you're we, keeping
2: them on there year round, it's not it's doing not, any good. But not rotate that. them. That's through. the thing. When we
4: say like. The government, uh, U.S. Forest Service, I'll, I'll use them as an example. They used to have grazing rights on a lot of the Ozark region. The glades would get grazed. Um, but at some point al- uh, along the way, the 60s, 70s, 80s, management was—the grazing management wasn't doing what was healthy to the land. Overgrazing was occurring. Mm-hmm. It wasn't
3: and, managed. It was, was just it. being grazed.
4: Yeah. And so— they pulled out the they, they pulled out the grazing. So now the landscape's not getting grazed. And it's like most people picture when we say grazing, they think overgrazed. Well, wildlife don't like that. Well of course not. We would agree with that. But if you use them correctly, they're more beneficial to wildlife than not having the grazing. Mm-hmm.
3: Rotationally leaving residual grass. I mean, the the cycles and and all the things that we can go into. I mean, it's it's crazy to think once you once you realize it and learn that, like man, cattle cattle are really important to this. can be good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and what that's... I
4: see, uh, you know, I kind of try to we, we manage with a business mindset. Like mm. any business that that just constantly loses money goes broke, right? Mm. And right. there's a lot of landscapes that are businesses that are just gonna continue to go broke. Mm-hmm. And when I say cutting trees, a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know to change to 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 fight climate change or to 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 make a healthy landscape, I need to be planting trees and making healthy trees. Well, there's a whole lot of there's oftentimes more things that go on than than just that one phrase. It's yeah. well um, and,
3: and it's we know this world is way more complex you can't, you're not going to be able to change something by planting some trees, just trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go back to diversity. Grasses are super, super important yeah. too. Water infiltration, carbon sequestration it's completely different, but you need all of them at the right yeah. mixture to make something happen.
4: So, cutting yeah. trees, you can make money. Cattle grazing, you can make money. Mm. And all that money is all, or if done correctly, is also improving the the habitat improving the landscape yeah now we're really starting to cook with peanut oil you know mm-hmm. it's like we're really <laughs> we're really making something great here mm-hmm. um because we're opening up that canopy where we're, we're we, we now have funds to either put back in the landscape or mm-hmm. put somebody in place to manage this and man you want to talk about making a big impact not just for deer but birds and everything you know what i talked earlier about that that where we where we did the the hillside that we cut trees and we did timber stand improvement we cut the weed trees and then we burned it fellas that like the deer utilize it now it's great nesting for turkeys but what you can really key on key in on is the amount of birds that are in that mm-hmm. like you can just go there and hear birds singing it's flying very vocal. you know mm. just it's amazing it, mm-hmm. it sounds alive and that's what we're looking for in a landscape yeah. a, a, a
3: landscape cool. that is either restored or healthy should not be stagnant. You should hear the buzzing. You should hear birds chirping. Like there should be activity yeah. from a, a wide range of whether again insect life all the way up to birds, mammals utilizing that area. If yeah. it's not, it's probably a low grade site yeah. because it's, they're not gonna. Yeah, they're not gonna be there if it doesn't offer anything, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, that's incredible stuff. I, I want to have you guys back on sometime, and we could just talk about uh, turkeys. Yeah, well, actually, back in the spring, I was wanting to, I was trying to figure out a way to talk about turkeys and nesting habitat because, oh yeah. geez, this part of the world is 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 hurting. Now I think Mike Chamberlain, he was on uh, some of the bigger podcasts. Well, he, he was he on our
4: podcast first. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think I said
2: some of the bigger podcasts? <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that was i going to be name dropping. <laughs> uh, no, I, I did hear him on your podcast first. Yeah. Um. And uh, no, but but he's done a good first. job. What are we fifth grade? <laughs> 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 I had him first. <laughs> well, he's. Uh, I think he's done a good job, and I mean yeah, he's yeah. saying all the st- same stuff you guys are doing, but yeah. but just uh, talking about brood habitat and stuff. But oh. we don't really. Have, it's people aren't thinking as much about turkeys right now. But right. I, I really would like to have you guys back on. Yeah, we are. So, we are very about.
3: passionate about turkeys. Yeah. and turkey hunting. And then making more of them. Yes, so, man. One thing. I love, I love y'all turn. sound <laughs> hungry. That <laughs> sound like
2: poultry farmers. Like, <laughs> That's right. Peanut oil
4: frying. Oh God, <laughs> turkey. My That's brother. Good. My brother working in in kind of western uh, south of here, uh, in western Arkansas. Landscape's pretty similar. Different mountain range. Air quote that, um, but. One thing that he's got to observe over his last four or five years working down there is the impact of you know everybody knows Arkansas turkey population is not doing great, but where they find and like they can go and employ or other employees that he works with are are actively hunting in Arkansas. Of course, he's a Missouri guy, so he he leaves Arkansas to come out Missouri. (laughs) But you know where they're finding populations. Increasing and a lot more turkeys to hunt is these places that are very actively managed. There, yeah. there are lots of fire. There's lots of timber sales or they're cutting timber, so there's yeah. lots of the early successional plants growing up in the disturbed sites. Yeah, they're not growing them in closed canopy it's, forests that are getting filled not, with bush honeysuckle. It's
3: not by happenstance. Yeah, yeah. strong, yeah. strong, strong correlations to disturbances and improving or maintaining, stabilizing. Um, Turkey
2: populations. Yeah. So the well, hey, I want I want to talk to you guys some about your hunting, um, okay. just like your personal hunting. Yeah. So y'all are like, got any big plans this fall? Nothing, are, y- are Y'all, are y'all big. traveling or hunting locally mainly? Locally, locally. I,
4: my wife and I will have a, our second child in August, mid August. Oh wow. So um, my my traveling is going to be pretty limited. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, man, 2020 was so crazy for us with consulting that. Once deer season starts to dwindle, you know we start consulting in December usually, and January, February, March, April is just crazy. Mm. And this year, we it's travel
3: when, enough in that first quarter. Generally, that's like whew, mm-hmm. I'm done. So, like going into the fall, we feel guilty leaving home, leaving yeah, wives, yeah. Just and to go and deer frankly, hunt, I don't
4: want so. to because yeah. I, I just want to stop and sit down and and kind of go hunt my own spots. And fortunately. Where I grew up hunting my family farm, we still have it today. And so I get to hunt the same turf that I hunted when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have a pretty good buck on there. So, um,
2: what's a pretty good buck for up there? Uh,
4: well, this okay. is above average
2: for the yeah. area. Yeah. A yeah. pretty
3: good buck would be yeah. 150, 160 inch. Yeah. Year. That, and we have a couple year. of those that'll mm-hmm. probably be in really? that range. Yeah. 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 So well, you we've got
4: one that we're waiting on to show up. The last year was probably low low 40, high 30s. It was three and a half year old. That Matt saw late season that should blow up, but we found sheds to a buck that um, somewhere around one ninety. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. Are you
2: being serious? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow,
4: yeah, that's I missed him last year. Uh, Took a shot at him with a bow last light shot under him, but um, he's still around, hopefully. And so that that's just
3: uh, if you will again, the region of southern Missouri is not often characterized as a big buck place right where you can have you incredible any, hunts many
4: hunting shows going to the ozarks to hunt. make it yeah. living right no. so
3: but in pockets where that habitat is in place again another strong correlation to with you when you have that age structure built in and you've got some really good deer yeah and then you'll find you know pockets across you know i think i think of in like south central missouri where they're doing more logging operations and there's The return of some of the great species that we want in an understory, they've got them and they've got them spread across the landscape. Usually there's a couple big deer that come out of there, like,
4: what in the world? And then as the forest grows back and the canopy closes back up, the big deer kind of, you don't see them getting killed there as much. Yeah. I I think in in timber country, you can almost, like when you have mixed hardwoods, um, not timber country, this pine plantation, but if you have mixed hardwoods, uh, you can almost find a correlation between big deer that follow logging operations mm. because those five years after the logging operation, there's food and cover everywhere. Do you so. think they're following the trucks or do you think they're just, <laughs> they're actually you know, hitching on.
3: <laughs> I think there's <laughs> right. a little corn getting spilled <laughs> out. Maybe. Yeah. Uh,
2: um, what do you guys think about bears in Southern Missouri? I think it's awesome. Cool. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. we've Absolutely.
4: we've started cool. finding them more and more. Um, they're showing up on cameras. Used hey, you to have just seen be them on your ring. place? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And we're not too many years away from a bear season, so yeah, um, we're. we're really I don't know what yet, that's going to be like for us. You know, they're talking like it'll be uh, mid October rifle, mid October rifle, and it's kind of like, well, I want to be bow hunting
2: deer at that point, but you yeah. know, we had we had on uh, Laura Conley the. The I listen to that fur bear biologist, Great podcast, yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the, one a, of the
3: top out there. <laughs> What's that? Your podcast? Oh, I listen oh, to that one. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs>
2: um, one of the bigger ones. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she. I think it's pretty interesting. If if you guys could bait deer in in southern Missouri or in Missouri at all, the bear would be a big problem. Sure, oh, totally. That like, conflict so back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. Because like, what? Oh, if you could bait deer, there would be bears at every corn oh, sure. pile, tearing up every corn feeder, and people would be throwing a fit. So it's interesting for me to look uh-huh. at it because it's a different setting. And we've had bears for so long here, people are just kind of used to it. It's normalized now. These bears are moving back in, and they've been there for 25, 30 years or longer mm-hmm. even. I think she yeah. said there is evidence of bears being in there. I mean, it's pretty shortly after the reintroduction from Arkansas in the '50s and '60s. So I mean, there's yeah. been there, there's been bears there, but just in the last ten years, they've really oh gone popped.
4: crazy. You know, I yeah. worked for the Missouri Department of Conservation in college and shortly after, right out of college, and when we first started trapping bears, hmm. um, and first started radio calling bears, and uh, you know what's what's funny about it is that. You know, fortunately for Matt and I, we're not government employees. So we're a little bit more aggressive with our management techniques. We don't have to jump through uh, legislation to try to get a timber sale or whatever. We can kind of just go recommend it and people do it. Mm, And uh, so we can say things that maybe they wouldn't say. But you know what was funny when I was working there um, is we would track these radio collared bears. And when we first started doing it, it was late. It was late in the summer. Um, And even during... Deer season, when there was no legal, uh, you couldn't legally bait, you would notice trends of bears going to sites on a regular basis, where it's just like, I know there's some sort of attractant there because that bear is there almost every single day. So you think it's people feeding deer or something? Feeding deer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People feeding deer and and bears are going in. And so they couldn't complain that their feeders were getting tore up because
2: Mm -hmm. they were illegally (laughs) Then they exposed themselves, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What did I, did I see... uh, where was I at the other day? I was somewhere the other day well it's it was here you know we 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 now have c w d regulations mm-hmm. that yeah. you can't bait deer thirty days before season okay wow that's what so that's
4: that's Missouri. Anyway, so like mm-hmm. even without CWD, that's Missouri. You could bait during the off season, but thirty oh, days before you had to stop. season, you had to stop. Oh, now well, you see, guys I are jumping it. into Missouri. Well, no, no, we're the okay. opposite. We okay. can't
2: we can't feed any time except thirty days before hunting season. Oh, and it's, th- it's, it's exact opposite. Does, does CWD stop
3: being transmitted thirty <laughs> <Yeah>. days before? <laughs> no,
2: the deer hunting's more important. Well, it was totally a political political <laughs> right. move. But um, yeah. no, but like said Walmart in different places around like are selling corn i, I don't want to say right now because i haven't been to walmart in a long time mm-hmm. uh, but like yeah people are selling corn and it's like all a game warden would have to do is like go oh, down sure. to walmart watch who buys you know 200 yeah, uh-huh. pounds of corn uh-huh. and then follow them out but, to the woods but what's the yeah.
4: point of writing a ticket for a a judge or somebody just to throw it out yeah,
2: maybe so. Because it depends on the region. Yeah.
4: You know, in Missouri, um, corn is sold in Walmart and sporting goods stores almost, uh, I'm assuming, year-round. So you
2: can bait all other times of the year except hunting season. Yes. In Missouri, mm-hmm. yes. It, uh, unless 10, you're in a CWD days, zone.
4: Yeah, 10 days before hunting season. I just think it's 15, maybe.
2: Okay. It's somewhere
3: in there. Yeah.
2: Mm. But,
4: but in ironically, and it's just like... What a world we live in. But when hunting season opens up, it's like they go get the pallet jack and they move it up closer.
3: <laughs> like right at the red And you're just like,
4: Are you serious right now? We can't Wow. Even in even in CWD zones where you're not supposed to bait at all, is like they still sell corn.
2: So huh. it's sort of not that's I guess it's so hard to that's enforce. What. It's bird
3: seed Adam. Yeah. It's not yeah. Yeah. It's bird seed. Birdseed. Yeah. Bird
2: yeah. Seed. yeah.
4: Mm. It's actually we see planted for thing. gardens.
2: What's that? We see the same yeah. thing. It's all yeah. over.
4: Yeah. It, we got a uh, an uphill battle in, yeah. in a world of changing perspectives. That's what really it comes down to in everything that we deal with is changing
2: perspective. And usually the most beneficial thing is long term. Oh, uh, well,
3: yeah. I mean, like, there's, there's, that, that, you, that's the you, way you it can't is. You can cut corners with this kind of stuff. Well, I don't it, think you can cut corners in conservation, really. Yeah, that's, it's, a, good, it's that's a, natural, a good statement. It's a natural conservation. world that we're working with, and that you have to look at the foundation, which in what it operates on, and it doesn't really cut corners. Right. The system is the system. I think we need to learn first what the system is, embrace it, and then manage in that system. Yeah, we're not now as we're seeing all this stuff occurring that we talked about on the podcast.
4: Yeah, learn the system it's management with. You know, when you learn that system that he's talking about, it's not that we sit on a throne and reign over all of it. We just fit right in the middle of all of it, and we just have to figure out how well, to. And it's nothing that like manage with it. We created
3: Orlando lace did. It's just like this is the way that God designed it. I'm just embracing that. I'm learning it, and now I'm applying, you know, truth in the way that nature works. Yeah, to nature. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. another statement we make sometimes, talking about invasive species and improving deer and whatnot. It's like, I'm not going to manage a native species, talking about deer, with non-native plants. Yeah. I'm going to find the native plants that they like, manage for those, and I'm probably going to improve that native animal species at the same time.
2: Yeah. And that's a longer game plan than going out and buying corn and pouring it out up here totally it or but going let and, me tell taking you a you will create you will create a deer mecca for <laughs> a couple of days by putting out 200 pounds of corn up there mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that's sure. what's that's what's so it's so bizarre it, and at the same time you're 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 confined by the culture in some ways but like um you know like baiting deer in arkansas it's such a political thing. I mean, like the, the, mm-hmm. the culture has become if revolves you know on private land. You can't bait yeah. on public land. Yeah. So there's still guys that are on public land that are deer hunting based upon sign and trails mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then like if you're on if you're on private land and you're deer hunting in Arkansas, I mean like you know, it's almost like don't hate the player, hate the game. I mean, mm-hmm. you gotta bait deer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I say quote yeah. quote unquote gotta. <laughs> you gotta. And, I, and I'm torn on it because I mean sure. Hunting small properties. I mean, I have no. Shame if you don't do it, your yeah. neighbor is saying. That. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. and it's, yeah. it's 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 actually a lot harder to kill a big deer over supplemental feed than you think. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. I mean, like th- there are guys that I've are that masters from... at it, and you know yeah. what? They're they're Jedi masters mm-hmm. because it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, like to kill big deer over right. over well, feed.
4: Here here's an idea. Let me, let me just off the top of my head say. What we do, there's a lot of guys that hunt public ground, and then you, you search for like these perfect bedding areas, like where it's like, oh, he's bedded here. Private land guys, we can go, well, okay, what is what makes that so special? Okay, I'm going to take that and I'm going to go do it on 20 spots on my farm to where I've got ideal bedding everywhere.
3: I'm going to replicate that success. What about,
4: you know, when it comes to the baiting? Everybody says most guys that hunt over bait say, well, it's really hard to shoot a mature deer over a bait site. We have to really hunt them going to the bait site because they show up right after dark well let's not uh, so let's take and create ideal bedding secure bedding somewhere using terrain features and what we know about natural disturbance to create what he would call a bedroom and then let's find a place in between the two to hunt him as he's getting up it's like that sounds sounds pretty pretty fun to me now i don't have to sit and stare at Squirrels eating all the corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
2: and raccoons and you, raccoons. And, you would, and you would kill better deer too. Hey, anytime I dog on baiting deer, I've got to clarify myself, or I've got to say cause I've had people say, "Clay, you're a massive proponent of baiting bear, baiting and deer, and baiting and bear is totally different things." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we bait bear to be selectively to selectively harvest bear. We're not we're not trying to supplement a bear's diet to improve his health. Yeah. Well, you see I what I'm that's, saying? That's yeah, 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 like important distinction. We're, 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 when we're baiting a bear, we are, we're trying to draw a bear in because they're such a, a, a dispersed, yeah. You know, yeah, they're, they don't have high densities, mm-hmm. you know, like a deer, a deer would have these really high densities, a bear would have very low densities, and so it's like totally different, because I... I just, what I'm is just for you? You know who you are out there in podcast world. Who's going to email me and say, Clay? Yeah, I thought you're a proponent of baiting. Yeah. I absolutely am for 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 bear and and I'm not saying I'm against it for deer. Totally, it, it's kind of a catch twenty mm-hmm. two in places where you have been able to do it for so long. They probably yeah. just need to they they need to just it, cut it out. To me, I think yeah. it needs to just be let, statewide the or yeah. Yeah. Just nationwide. They do. I would be totally cool if they cut out baiting for deer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, and, and they really should. It's, it this, this is what we talk about and what we started
4: seeing uh, let's it's take a, a, a person who yeah. has a bait site out and you're monitoring it with trail cameras and i want your listeners cuz i know there's probably a lot of them in this region that 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 uh that bait because that's the way of life like um all right so do you get more pictures of Raccoons in a, in a in the course of your baiting, do you get more pictures of raccoons or deer? And in, based on my experience, when I used to put out corn, it was uh, almost always more raccoons. And mm. if you're a deer hunter, and especially a turkey hunter, you you've now got this like embedded in your, bro- in your brain that raccoons are bad, that you yeah. must trap, kill them, don't stop killing them until you don't see them anymore, kind of mindset. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, is my corn more beneficial to the deer, more beneficial to my hunting or more beneficial to the predator that i hate. Hmm. Like and
3: you're not only supplementing food for deer, you're supplementing for this species as well. They're benefiting sp- as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. It hey, what you kind of go but oh, man.
4: that. And that's why like when we step back to trying to replicate nature, it's like, well, i'm just going to re- i'm just going to use fire and grazing and this kind of disturbance yeah. because that right there is a little bit hard to Hard to chew.
2: Yeah, I think to me the the overarching principle that stands out in my mind is that it's much harder to do what you guys are describing, Mm -hmm. but the long term benefits are much higher. Oh, totally. It's It's much easier to. You know, either not manage and just hunt the deer that you have. Yeah. Which, you know, some people, it's just not a priority to manage deer. So, you know, whatever. There's just some people that just have some land. They're like, we go out there for three days a year and hunt Mm -hmm. and no big deal. But it's, it's, anyway, just in life, that's always the case. What's hard and long term is usually way better. Yeah. But takes a lot more energy and effort, you know. And so, yeah.
3: yeah. And, and, and you know, those people who are sitting there wondering, how do I fit into all that? There's a lot of wins along the way too, if you're if you're not just it's like so take incremental, the, you, like like yes. you could do small things. That, yeah, like you 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 say, okay, I'm going to take that long route. I'm going to manage it in this way, this mindset. Um, and it, let's say you're doing it for deer. Well, sometimes that that goal it may take years to get there, and then you stabilize it and you maintain it, whatever. But although your goal is for white tailed deer and you want to kill 160 whatever there's other things that you can enjoy along the way rabbit populations are going to increase some mm-hmm. other small game yeah the the birds that we hear in the woodland that we, you just talked about that's cool like you did that like that 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 is an ecological significance of what you did it's not a 160 inch deer but maybe you heard one summer tanger now there's what how many are, you can go there and hear half a dozen? Yeah, on easy. that same site. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. there's these little wins along the way in this long yeah. game that you yeah. need to be focused. Yeah, you got to
2: have a certain mentality. Yeah, well, when you
4: think about it, like we're as a human being, we're pretty prideful. Like we want to think that at the end of our life, there'll be a ton of people at our funeral, and and 200 years after our death, that people are still going to remember us and talk about us. Like that's just our human nature. But if you look at the most common type of hunting habitat enhancement, and I say that kind of loosely because it's not really habitat enhancement, but if we go out and we put out a feeder, we put up a food plot, we hang a tree stand, or we make some trails, and you did that for five years, and then you didn't do it for five years, and you came back, what would there be that You'd have a, a rusted up feeder and a rusted up tree stand and a trail that's overgrown. You probably wouldn't even be able to tell that your work was ever there. But if you do, you know, ha- overall habitat enhancement, you plant a diverse prairie or you restore a woodland or a savanna or you put in a young forest clear cut, that's something you go back 20 years later and you're probably going to see it. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like
2: lasting impact.
4: Lasting yeah. impact. It's a legacy of of managing that land in an appropriate manner, to where your kids and your grandkids hopefully can see that and carry that torch, rather than oh, there's there's uh, dad's rusted up feeder and tree stand that now I have I to haul away, haul out of here. And in <laughs> yeah.
3: that like there's even in in that same scenario, there's so many either life lessons about whether it is life and death or or the progression of new growth and spring greenups, all these different lessons that you can share with other people, you can't really do that when you go and walk into a feeder and put a 50-pound bag of corn. You could see that deer respond to it, but you still have that same advantage by going the conservation mindset and and improving Mm -hmm. the actual habitat and the landscape itself. I I think we often underestimate our potential to have that impact because there are simple ways to do it. But we can impact the landscape. We can impact regions. We can impact states. It just is a long term, yeah, goal.
2: That's cool. That's very cool. Um, I'll, I I got I got to tell the story and then and then we'll end <laughs> because this is it's it's pretty connected going back to supplemental feeding and everything you just guys said. I think sums up kind of who you guys are and kind of like your your uh, like deeper philosophies for why you're doing what you're doing. Sure. Which I, yep. I like it. Um, okay, so back to the, uh, like the, the the lesser topic of baiting. <laughs> Bears and the Southern Washita's are expanding pretty rapidly into the Gulf Coastal Plain of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the, like the, Larger regions of Arkansas would be the Ozarks, like Western Arkansas, Ozarks, and the Gulf Coastal Plain, which would basically be in, be like getting in down to like the swamp country, yep, like pretty much like alligator country and stuff. Black bears are rapidly moving south, and uh, that's a part of Arkansas that's fairly sparsely populated, like no major population centers. Uh, some well, mainly would be forestry, like mm-hmm. big pine plantations yep. yeah. and stuff. Uh, Myron Means, the bear biologist for State of Arkansas, believes that the backbone of the expansion of bears into that area, which is pine, primarily pine, like domi- a pine-dominated yep. landscape, which pine tree does nothing for a bear. Yep. Yeah, is uh, supplemental corn piles. Wow. He think he thinks that. Basically, you know, so a bear's biology, like, or his, his caloric calendar mm-hmm, revolves mm-hmm. around fall hard mast, sure, and like gathering these massive calories in the fall, yeah, Absolutely. before denning, yeah. And there's there, are, there are white oaks down there and stuff, so you know, they're feeding on that some, but pine, but not, not to
3: the prevalence when everything or majority is a pine plantation, oh,
2: right? yeah, it's like, yeah massive pine plantations, and a lot of monoculture. So, and, and he thinks basically corn, m- people feeding deer has yeah. become the back, like part of their yeah yearly uh, architecture. And I would why say they're thriving. So, I mean, th- there's no point to that. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, honestly, I'm, not, I'm it's, not like saying that's yeah, good. That's I'm just saying that's interesting. interesting. It is a, I'm, yeah. I'm processing. I'm that. sitting here yeah, going, yeah,
3: okay, it what's it turns,
4: that? And turns. cause I'll share a similar story. Um, I don't really get, you know, the idea of Missouri repopulating or growing the bear population to a point where we can hunt them and, and you know, make, the state can make money on license sales. That's pretty stinking cool. We're restoring a native species to a native region, and now we get to enjoy that. That's, that's a big a, win that, for conservation. A, absolutely. absolutely. It's awesome. And there are deer hunters that are going to complain, but you know what, it's it's they were here before we were. Um and so like yeah it's super cool. But the idea that that population is growing because of a a supplement doesn't have the longevity or the sustainability right. that, it does, that it doesn't has have the me a lure little for me. It, it was like a weird
3: like stomach like I felt it was like oh that's almost like a and, and the reason I say yeah, that
4: yeah. It, because I have a similar feeling with uh with our, our elk restoration that we're doing in Mm. Missouri because a lot of the the food plots, the 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 areas that they're trying to provide this food, they're planting orchard grass, which is a non-native cool season grass. Mm. And it's like, so we're taking this big push to restore native species species and, feed and were them something
2: non-native. Yeah, that that <laughs> doesn't make sense
4: yeah. to me. Yeah. Let's let's try to fix the landscape and restore the woodland savannas, the the glades and give them a, the native species that they have adapted to. Cuz yeah.
3: because this is the funny thing, like those sites where that which were restocked in obviously like they, they chose those sites because of the potential of the landscape to offer to be restored yet we're supplementing it all with this non native green source. To me it's like that's
2: actually the same story. Mm -hmm. Let's
4: go take a native prairie and say we're restoring the native landscapes but throw cows out on it. Like it's large ruminants on the native grass and like what's we just switched it from plants to animals. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's cool that they're expanding, and it's yeah. cool that there's a potential that
2: more people and, are going to get to see. And them. Myron Myron's the first one to say there's that's not research, back. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah, his, yeah. That's just his that's just his observation. Anecdo- that's just what yeah. he yeah. thinks is happening. And yeah. and I I think it's totally probable. Sure, I think, sure, sure. What I've thought is that well, heck, if if they outlawed baiting or something, you know, would that mean that they would leave those areas? Yeah. And it's my Matt's dying to say something. No, I go think ahead. I think they'll. I think the bears will find a way to survive down there. Because oh yeah, I, I think I think they're using that because it's a great food source. It's, and easy. it's probably prop yeah. them up a little bit, but I think if it was gone, I think man, they're such a successful omnivore. Here's
3: a question, yeah? Do you think one growing seasons are are different too? So like that length it's and severity longer. of winter, I, I think is going to help. So it's like it's almost like that crutch to get them into the area. But then if let's just say it did happen. Baiting was removed. Do you think that you would certainly see that bear population if there was those um, more populated areas? Those bears then be supplementing on trash. The more the cultural conflict yeah. oh, with people, you know, they have to take one supplement from humans and then go to another one to to from a caloric standpoint. Yeah. If if nature yeah, is not providing it yeah they have a wide range of stuff that they eat, right? I mean, it's yeah. just it's crazy, but we all know that bears love easy meals. I mean, yeah.
2: Wildlife in general love easy meals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's entirely possible. That if you took it away, then all of a sudden you'd have nuisance problems and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Here's well, a question for you before oh, we wrap up. Yes. So. I
4: mentioned earlier, Missouri will open up a season, hopefully in the near future, for bears. Uh, they'll be, from my understanding, and I didn't listen to that podcast, so my apologies.
1: Oh, <laughs> Do Dude, you the, feel from what the best from, from what out
4: I've heard, um, there is not going to be any baiting allowed, right, right? And there's so there's no baiting, private or public, yeah. And it's going to be a short, short, short window, yeah, uh, with a rifle, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, how successful, what I picture is probably by design. What I picture is a bunch of us Missourians who have drawn tags headed to the woods. No dogs either, I don't think. No. Headed sure. to the woods, walking around in densities where, or in areas where there is a higher density of bears, pushing them out. So what I picture is it's going to be very tough to fill tags. Yeah. And I picture the bear hotspots or the bear population dispersing into larger regions, to where mm. then those bears can repopulate. To where ten years from now, we'll have bears everywhere. Yeah, maybe that's by design. But yeah. I just when I heard the well, the potential regulations, I was like, "Ooh, that'll be
2: a tough." I think that think you're on the right the right track and say that that's going to be a super hard animal it's, to hunt. Yeah, at that I mean, time like, frame, we oh, yeah. we have a phrase that we use on the podcast: a a, a type of hunting that we describe as the sheep hunt of the South. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like we actually have shirts that say sheep hunt of the South. And the whole idea gotcha. is that hunting bears in the Eastern deciduous forest is hard, like right. a Western sheep hunt. Like yeah. you're, you're, it's a low probability hunt, mm-hmm. very low probability. Um, the only thing that Missouri has going for it is these are unhunted bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. what's in, incalculable. In, you know, it's hard for me yeah. to calculate yeah. based upon what because our bears are hunted in uh I mean, it, it's it's I think it's as tough a hunt as there is in North America and I'm talking about all the types of hunting. Wow. Th- to go take sure. a bow and now I'm also talking about take a bow and go in the national forest and kill a bear on purpose. Oh now, <laughs> no <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. that'd be almost next to impossible. Well, <laughs> I mean that's what that's that's what we Spent a lot of our time the last couple of years doing and talking about, and yeah. and people are getting better at it mm-hmm. as as they're being educated on how to do it, and it's much more stable and predictable than I ever thought. Yeah, uh, that bear right there was the first bear that I ever killed uh, in national forest on purpose, um, and uh, that picture behind it, is yeah, right where I killed it. Okay, yeah. Uh, that, wow. that that photo. looks a lot like
4: the Ozarks, minus your rocks look a little bit more smooth than ours. Yeah. Ours is a little yeah. bit more ragged. It's so
2: regional, you know, like different places the rocks vary, but uh, no, that, that bear was right there. Um, so I'm with you, Adam. It's going to be a low-odds hunt. I think some people will kill some, but yeah. I, they had to go with that strategy, though. I mean, they didn't want to start off. They're starting at the making it as absolute hard as possible which yeah. makes that's total a, sense that's a that's a great strategy for bears because bears are you know low reproductive rates yep. the females don't yep. start reproducing until they're three or four years old and then they only produce mm-hmm. cubs every two years what's
3: it growing nine percent or something like that yeah population, yeah yeah
2: and that's mm-hmm. a that's not a super that's pretty average so it's yeah. not like this population is just like growing right. exponentially right right uh, I think you'll see a time when it does. Mm-hmm. There are parts of Arkansas that are growing by eighteen percent per year. Meyer means to wow. me, which is incredible. Yeah, and like uh, because these big, you know, large carnivore populations just don't—they don't naturally need to produce. Like you know, yeah, a, yeah. a doe can give birth her first year of life. Life she cycles can, are completely different. She dim- can yeah. come into heat when she's six months old, mm-hmm. be bred, and have twins the next spring. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, so bears are not like that. So they. They manage them conservatively, Mm -hmm. so anyway, I think I think they're doing a good job. It's going to be super tough. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) but But
3: could you imagine if they if they allowed you to bait out the gate, then we'd shoot half of them right then.
2: It seems like, but then
3: changed the regulation and took it away. Yeah,
2: that would that would cause
3: even worse. Yeah, it would be big
2: political problems. Yeah, I think. I predict that maybe one day they would have a bait on private land uh-huh. hunt, mm-hmm. just because that's what Arkansas and Oklahoma have done, sure. pretty successfully, right, right, really successfully. And but our populations are so big, like the reason, and and here's what a lot of people don't understand. We preach it on the podcast all the time. The where you can bait bear in North America is because there is no other effective way to manage them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like mm-hmm. where you can spot and stalk bears usually and they can harvest the number of bears they need to harvest by spot and stalk, sure. then that's what they let them do. Mm-hmm. Man, in Arkansas, our population is growing so much. I mean, we currently have a population of 6,000 bears in Arkansas, and we've been knocking the fire out of them for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we had not taken out three to 400 bears a year for the last 20 years, I mean, sure. bears would be overrunning this place. If we'd all
4: have one beating down our... Garbage, garbage cans. Every <laughs> we time absolutely would,
2: and so so it's such a win-win for sportsmen when you can manage a population, keep it under control relative to the amount of habitat that we have. Uh-huh. Do they have any idea them. how much uh, money comes in with tags and you know, for Arkansas? For... It's hard to track bear hunters because everybody that buys a tag has a bear tag. Oh, mm-hmm. so I mean, like you Got buy it. Arkansas sportsman's license, you get six deer, two turkeys, a bear, mm-hmm. you know. All the all the small game handing want.
3: out tags like it's candy down here, <laughs>
2: yeah. Six. yeah. It is, I there it's a good state for actually, it's a terrible state <laughs> for out of state. Slow come. down, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Oh, yeah. uh, no. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for I like what fun. you guys are doing. And people can find you guys at Land and Legacy Land and Legacy. And now, y'all would have like personal Instagram pages too, yeah. or no? So, bad yeah. guy. Uh, I think mine's Adam, Adam a, B
4: Keith something like that. I I only post I photos like uh, once Landon every six Legacy's months of my the daughter. Best. So okay, land legacy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah.
2: Yeah. if you want to see Adam's daughter, you can <laughs> <like> it, <right? laughs> probably <Yeah>. not good ones. Yeah. So yeah, land and legacy. And man, I almost started off the podcast by talking about your podcast. You guys, you hadn't made six hundred episodes of your podcast, have you? No, no. two. We're right why around two forty-five. Why are you numbering your episodes as like six hundred something? I think that's Dan. That's Dan. That's okay, a Dan yeah. Johnson. Well, I don't know. Okay, okay. I, I don't know. We, I didn't we've realize been doing that was happening. Y'all have made like 200 something. Well, we been doing it for yeah, like yeah, three and like a half that. years or so yeah. mm-hmm. and average Every week? two Twice a week. A week. Two a week. Yeah. I appreciate the persistence there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so, I'll end up have said this before because I'll say this in the intro that I do, but like your podcast is full of, it's like, it's like information driven. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Uh, so like, our podcast is is like more like conversational, like long for, you know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not as much like we do some tip driven tactical stuff for sure. But, yeah. but you guys is more of a format of we're given info. We have topics and we're given information, Yes, yeah. which is great. And they're yeah. usually shorter, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, under an hour, most yep. of them. Yeah. And, and anywhere and so, from 30, 30 minutes to, thir- to an hour. Yep, 30 yeah. 30 so yeah. man, tons of information. And that's part of the reason I didn't necessarily want to, go into like a specific topic on this podcast because you guys have covered so much. People can go back and and look at all your stuff and and learn a ton. You really can. You guys are doing a great job, I think, of just disseminating really solid information. I appreciate Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. You really are. And um, so, yeah keep doing and good luck with that big buck this year do y'all both hunt in the same place you let him hunt we we I'm were looking at he's got a yeah. lease we yeah. Were. Yeah, yeah and
3: i just i just leased 160 acres and um i don't know it was second night of putting cameras out there's a good one there i was like eh. yeah all right, nice. all yeah. right. My
4: brother and I are working on buying that farm right now. So but out from under <laughs> no, 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 Matt. No, Matt no, had no, no, the no, opportunity, no. but um, no, yeah. it's, it's right it's next to their the family, family like, farm. he's
3: too. sitting right beside you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So. No. no.
2: <laughs> but but no no you're trying to buy the lease that he no no
3: no, has. no 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 the lease is next He's to their family. He's trying to farm. Farm. divide us. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> They're yeah. by, him and his brother are purchasing the land that's next to their family farm. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And so Okay. Yeah, no, no. Gotcha. So, gotcha. It's yeah. a, was, you know, was, interesting
4: was, story about a family farm, not to go off on another rabbit trail, but you know, it's it's been owned. My grandpa owned it, great grandpa owned it in nineteen eighteen ninety two, sold it oh, to wow. Stark Brothers, uh of fruit tree company. Mm. You ever heard of fruit the fruit trees, but sold it for a thousand fruit trees. My grandpa bought it back in 1952, oh. um, so it's been in the family farm ever since. So my brother and I are trying to expand it and buy the neighboring property. Oh wow, that's cool! So, a thousand that's fruit cool. trees. Thousand. Yeah, fruit yeah. Trees.
2: I I just, this part of the world I'm head. Head. I'm trying to buy it for a lot of fruit trees. <laughs> this, this part of the world used to fuel North America with apples. Y'all oh, know yeah. that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah Those Ozarks yeah. were like in the huge orchards. In around the here. first 20 years of the 20th century, early 1900s. Yeah. apple trees yeah
4: do you have many shortleaf pines around here Mm-mm. where you're at not like right here not right this you get 25
2: miles away they get you- cut out or they just aren't here man I you drive from here to Fort Smith in the winter and see a lot of it's not all public land, but it's pretty just native Ozarks. Yeah, you won't see a pine tree. Did he say native Ozarks he Close said canopy? That. Yeah. Huh. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Ooh. Wound.
3: This white sir. man manipulated. <laughs> 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 he has not listened to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. thanks guys. You appreciate
2: it. Keep me. the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. Yeah, and the, we got to get the Japanese honeysuckle out. <laughs>
0: Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries.